the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It's a Monday show. We call this Upon Further Review because there are only but so many minutes we filled 90 daggum of them on Saturday night. But even still, there are games that uh, finished after we were done. There were games that we didn't get eyes on. We spend Sunday, we spend Monday morning going back and reviewing all of the actions so that we can make sure that we have hit everything before we turn the page and move on to week nine. Also, we will be having our legendary uh, award-winning AP Top 25 reaction segment called Pole Assassin. It is Halloween. Please remember to keep your monkeys under control as the children are coming around trick or treat. But we begin with uh, some coaching change news. And it was not those coaching change news that required those sirens to be in your feed. But it was a, a topic that I think that we should address because... After a 1-7 start to the season, after a 0-4 showing in Conference USA play, uh, after as a two-touchdown favorite at home on homecoming weekend, Charlotte 49ers just get blown out, honestly, by FIU. So uh, Charlotte moving on from Will Healy. Like, look, when he came in, everybody was fired up. He got Charlotte to the program's first-ever bowl game. He turned in Charlotte's only winning season in program history. Now, they've only been an FBS program since 2015, but still, Will Healy was the coach that got him there. Led a big turnaround at Austin P. Got him named the FCS National Coach of the Year, the Eddie Robinson Award. But, man, things have really slipped, and the 49ers have decided to move on. There, we sometimes have the discussion of, you know, like, how did this happen? You know, did you see this coming? I don't, I don't know what kind of pulse you guys have on the Charlotte football job and whether this was a, a job that was going to come open, but what was uh, the overall reaction to you know this firing at this time of the year? And you know what what kind of job is that taking over the 49ers football program? I only have a couple thoughts here. Uh, one is that Charlotte was a much different team for most of the year when they had quarterback Chris Reynolds and, and when they did not, right? Like he's actually a pretty good quarterback at the CUSA level. And when they didn't have him, they were just terrible. But once he came back, they scored points, but the defense was still horrendous and then they had five turnovers this weekend in their loss to FIU and you just you can't lose to this FIU team it's just not a thing that you're allowed to do as a coach and keep your job when you're already kind of on the hot seat but man the other thing is like look at all the coaches they've lost at Charlotte and I don't I'm not going to pretend to know like what Charlotte's budget is and a lot of these guys did leave for better jobs but Charlotte is a program moving up to the AAC and they've lost a ton of coaches and I'm kind of wondering like what is their actual budget how do they stand out as a program other than the fact that they are in the charlotte metro area and they have a lot of talent around them but at north carolina space is crowded and i 
I don't know, man. I'd be like, is Charlotte public? I'd be kind of curious as to see yeah. like how much they spend on, on it is. They've it's, lost a lot of guys. It's part of the university system. So it is like part of the same, you know, feeder system as North Carolina and, uh, and NC state okay. and app state at that also. And ECU. Other thoughts? I think it could be a good job based on where it is. Like, I mean, I've always thought it was attractive for coaches to live in a bigger city. North Carolina does have some talent there that you could be able to pull from, but going to the American isn't going to get easier, but maybe that helps some of your resources, helps with the money because you'll be getting bigger paychecks. So I I was just talking, we were talking before the show. I remember Will Healy, we were doing a CBS Sports Network Friday night show and he just beaten Duke and it was club lit like you were talking about. I was like, man, this thing's going in the the right direction and then it just completely turned the opposite direction. See, what I wonder about going forward here is regardless of if the job is good, like talk about the budget situation. We don't know what their budget is, but just the budget situation of college football overall. Like this is the kind of program that in – years past would be the g5 and it's moving up to an a it's moving up to the american so this would be like the place where like a coordinator who's waiting for a head coaching job could go be like a proving ground and go prove that he can be a head coach maybe get a power five job but we're seeing repeatedly these days that the power five schools are paying their coordinators so well that i don't know how many attractive coordinator coordinators are going to be out there that are going to be attracted to this job as far as like the ability to win there and the money because they're probably just going to be able to make a bunch more where they currently are as a coordinator. So it'll be interesting to see. Like we saw Will Healy was kind of an outside the box hire at a very young coach who had some success at Austin P and they bring him in hoping he can bring that kind of energy and success to a new FBS program and he wasn't able to deliver. And it's just, it's like, I don't know where Charlotte goes. It's probably going to have to do something similar. It's probably going to have to end up doing an outside the box kind of thing where it's maybe it's not a coach that anybody even realizes right now. So I, it's it's going to be an interesting one to watch. And I think it's going to be interesting just from this point on watching a lot of G5 openings, what direction they have to go. Also, I mean, we need to think about if you're a coach trying to move up to a P5 head coaching job, increasingly these P- these P5 schools are wanting guys with a lot of P5 experience. I, I think in the last cycle, it was harder for some of these good G5 coaches to move up. I, I think Jamie Chadwell has faced that bias, right? Like, look at UVA. They went with Tony Elliott o- o- over a guy like Chadwell. And I'm like, uh, that early on looks like a mistake to me. So I, you have to consider, like, can I get back if I go there? And just briefly, if I could pull you guys, remember – Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF are leaving for the Big 12, for the American. So the new American is East Carolina, Memphis, USF, SMU, Temple, Tulane, Tulsa, uh, Wichita State in the football, so no, uh, Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, UTSA. Sound right? Mm-hmm. And Navy. Is this the worst job in the new AAC? Or what no. jobs are we putting above or below it? Rice, I assume, because the academic standards. I mean, I've got. I think you've got to grade the Charlotte football program on a curve. They've had uh, success in their athletic department. The football program has not even existed for thirty years. I mean, they've only sure. had two head coaches. Brad Lambert came in and, and literally was just trying to put things in place. They've got the stadium, which I think is pretty new or recent. The idea that they need to fundraise to pull this together. See, the thing that stands out to me is about the move to the American Athletic Conference. It is this administration looking at Will Will Healy and saying, this is one of the most important times literally in our football program's history. If we join this new league and we become bottom feeders right away because of the way that this team has been built out and the way they're performing, that is going to create real damage when there is an opportunity as the entire AAC is just getting a reset from a membership standpoint. I think that this signals an investment. I think this signals that the leadership around Charlotte football is trying to say, all right, we need to make sure that we have the right coach in place because if we jump into the AAC and hit the ground running and have success early, then that could create an incredible like off-ramp for us to be able to create some real change. And so as you know, some of these group of five programs, a lot of shifting going on right now. I think that we we might see another coaching change like this where at least one impact of why the athletic director and the university are trying to make a change is we're about to head to a new neighborhood and, and we need to make sure that we have the right guy in place or at a minimum, 
we cannot continue what has been a backward slide for this 49ers program ever since that 2019 season. I, I do know that they do not spend like UTSA and North Texas do. Like those mm-hmm. programs are actually investing a lot. Like I, that's going to be interesting to see. Like they, they, they can say it. Will they actually back it up the checkbook? I think Chip's probably right. Um, yeah, and they have had some uh, some some good some good success uh, outside of the football program, and the the, uh, the the Jerry Richardson Stadium, you know, there's 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 money, there's there's always money in the banana stand. All right, let's turn our attention to the new AP Top Twenty Five, the new coaches poll. Uh, what have we seen? What kind of changes were there? It is our fantastic poll assassin segment so in terms of the ap top 25 zero changes within uh the top six we obviously saw Ole miss take a big tumble as they take their first loss of the season they fall eight spots to number 15 we see kansas state take a tumble as they take their second loss of the season they fall five spots to 22 but for the most part just a bunch of just classic you know tom Fernelli loves to see it the voter mentality of just bump it bump it bump it bump it Bump it, just sort of sliding on up the scale. LSU goes from uh, others receiving votes, cracks it at 18. That is lower than what we projected on Saturday night. And South Carolina, as the Gamecocks did create some uh, some wonderful conversation on the Instant Reaction Show, yes, they land in the top 25 uh, at number 25, now 5-2 and two after a win at Texas A&M. What stands out on the new either AP Top 25 or Coaches Poll? I would like to start out by saying that on Saturday night's show, I speculated that UCLA and Syracuse would fall further from where they were than Ole Miss was because of Ole Miss being an SEC team. And I'm happy to report that that is not what happened. UCLA fell three spots. Syracuse fell two spots. And Ole Miss fell eight spots. So at least there was, you know, to me, I want to, you know, we've we've been dunking on these guys for the season. I would like to, you know, Good job. Good job. They still had them seven. Like, why were they seven? I know, but at least they corrected themselves for once because we've seen it so many times where, like, Ole Miss lost, but they did lose to an SEC team, so we shouldn't punish them too much. That's right. Um, Good point. I think if we're going to rip other teams and other conferences for getting bias, who still voted for Clemson number one? Yeah, who the who's the one first place vote? <laughs> who is that person? Because I, I I don't I would I expected them to drop potentially after the performance they put on display against Syracuse, but for you to still have number one, whoever that is, should be put on blast too. Because that there's no way I don't care a resume, whatever it is, you just cannot you can't you can't make a case for that. That is Pac-12 savant who knows everything going on in the conference of the San Jose Mercury News, John Wilmer. John? Yeah. They had Clemson at one, Tennessee at two, Georgia at three, Ohio State four, Michigan five, Alabama, TCU, Oregon, Wake, and Oklahoma State to round out his top ten. I will say this. I didn't get to chime in on the DJ Cade Klubnik quarterback issue. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it. I'll save it for our upon further review. Okay. Sorry. Well, I so, I, I, oh, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead, Tom. Let's get a shout out one more voter. Okay. <laughs> I, I failed to mention this last week, although it was the same case last week, but I thought, okay, well, maybe it was an accident. We'll see a correction this week. I'm going to read the ballot of the South Bend Tribune's Mike Birodino, and I just want to see if you guys notice anything here. Number one, Ohio State. Okay. Number two, Georgia. Number three, Alabama. Number four, Michigan. Number five, Clemson. We still waiting for a team yet? Number six, Tennessee. Mm. So Tennessee, he had Alabama ranked ahead of Tennessee last week after Tennessee beat Alabama, and he still has Tennessee ranked behind Alabama by three spots after Tennessee beat Alabama. Just, I I need to hear the reasoning for that. I mean, I know what it's going to be. Well, it was a close game. It was 52-49. I still think Alabama's the better team going forward. But if you're going to keep Alabama at three, even after it lost to Tennessee and keep Tennessee number six, why the hell do we play the games? Well, that's what a power ranking poll, one of the popular ones around these parts, too, had Tennessee behind Alabama right after that game, too. Oh, well, what if it's a neutral site? 
I, it's stupid. I, I, it drives me nuts, too. I'm with you. There was also the Tennessee Volunteers, by the way, lost two first place votes because they only put a billion points on UT Martin and led 52 to seven at halftime. They had 15 first place votes last week. This week, one of those first place votes went to Ohio State and the other one apparently went to Clemson. Mm -hmm. Coming up on the other side, it is our final chance to make declarative statements and thoughts and conversation on the week that was. It is upon further review and it happens next when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm scared. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, uh, as always, check out Paramount Plus. Get it, get all your Hollywood uh, Hollywood Halloween uh, goodies. Hollywood as well. All right, Danny, you uh, you you almost drew your gun, but you put it back in. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and let you lead this off. Uh, thoughts on the Clemson quarterback situation, how it played out, and, uh, and what you're expecting from it moving forward. The Tigers off this week, back in action in week 10 on November 5th at Notre Dame. Whether Dabo knows it or not, he has a quarterback problem on his hands. Um, it's significant. Like It's going to cost them a championship, whether that's an ACC championship or potential national championship. It's hurting them right now, the quarterback play and the inconsistency of quarterback play. And I think his loyalty, and you could say, man, I, I don't know if it's blind loyalty, but it sure feels that way when we're all watching the same game. And you can see what is a massive problem. There's a, a small portion of me, though, that says maybe it's the offense that's the problem. But at the same time, I saw DJ struggle with those throws. I saw him force the ball into coverage. I saw him miss a wide-open touchdown that's a layup that he underthrew because he was trying to guide it there and just not, not screw it up. I think he's got a problem on his hands. I also think he, pr- he has the best culture in college football because to hear both players after the game speak to the media and say the exact same thing, and DJ's like, shout out to Cade for getting it done. What a great job he did. And then for Cade Klubnik to come over and say, first thing out of his mouth, this is DJ's team, which is exactly what Dabo said after. That's pretty impressive. All that is great, but they have a quarterback problem on their hands. I just don't know if they know it yet because it is holding them back. And it it held them back last year. It's why they weren't very good from their standard. But I think it's an issue, and I, I, I think he's got to resolve it. And I, I don't. I almost think they would have been better served to compete and practice and leave it open. I know he doesn't want a distraction on a bye week, but I don't think DJ is the guy. I really don't. See, I mean, I go. I'm really going to disagree here. I actually think that that DJ had played very well for most of the year. I thought he played really well against Georgia Tech, and they just had five drops. Right. I, if I was going to list the problems out for this Clemson offense, wide probably no, number one, wide receiver. They don't have dudes there like they used to have. Probably number two, offensive coaching. About a month ago, we went over the idea that they don't have enough guys who have experience at the college level on that staff and experience outside that system to bring some other ideas. Right? If you look at how that system is translating right now at, uh, at Virginia and how it was working at USF before they brought in Travis Trickett, the results from that Clemson system, if you don't have a Trevor Watson, is – Kind of sketchy. Uh, and to be honest, like he had a bad game. It was like something was really off. But that is not consistent with how he's been playing in other games. He was leading the nation in big-time throw to turnover-worthy pass ratio on PFF, like number one in the country. So it's not like he's been putting the ball at risk all year. Like He balled out against Wake, and they had to have every single one of those throws to, to win that game when they had their basically their entire secondary out. Now, look, if he continues to play like he played against Syracuse, it's a major issue, but like, I didn't put that on my locks card. I definitely had some Clemson, and I would like having watched that game play out. I would bet Clemson again and lay the thirteen. They were definitely the better team. They just had four turnovers. Klubnik was two of four for nineteen yards. It's not like he played well. Yeah, I'm with Bud on this one. I, I thought DJ's been playing really well all year. He just had a bad day, and that's the other thing too. Like what you said at the end there, if like Club Nick had been you know club lit, 
I feel like you might have more of a kind of a basis for doing it. But Klebnik came in, and I didn't really think Clemson's offense got any better in the game. I think they just stopped, you know, Syracuse just stopped scoring. The defense kept them in, and they won the game. Will Shipley rips off a 50-yard touchdown run, and they just decide, all right, we're just going to hold the ball, and we're just going to run it, and we're just going to lean on Syracuse's defense, which is getting exhausted because Garrett Schrader can't get a first down. I mean, look, great way to squeeze the air out of the game and try to win it, but Syracuse was in plus territory trying to go get a game-winning score at the very end. Defense came up big with an interception. Sorry, Dan. I would I would take Clemson every time with Bud. Shout out to Paul, who beat me in the lock fight. Congrats. But I would still take Clemson, too. The 14-point swing, that was Clemson going in to score. DJ coughs it up. scoop. That's a big turnaround. That kind of And then the more you keep a team like Syracuse in the game, they're going to feel their confidence grows. But then you can tell that Clemson started to squeeze it a little bit tighter. I'll put it this way. I don't I don't think they win a championship with DJ. Definitely not. Agreed. But and yeah. then but I don't know if they can with Cade. <clears throat> like I and I'm I totally agree with what you guys are saying. It's not like he blew you away. He made a nice play on the two-point conversion, but we saw DJ make really nice two-point conversions against Wake Forest too. I just feel like DJ does not strike fear in you the way that the other quarterbacks on top-level teams, championship-level teams do. And I think that's a problem for him. I, Shout out to uh, Felder, by the way. I don't know if you guys re- read the Felder Bulletin, um, North Carolina guy. He had a pretty good note in there today about how he hates how Clemson runs DJ and how they need to, to think about running him differently because he's not quick, right? He's, he's a guy who sort of builds he's a to that top speed. Yeah, exactly. Like the top speed is actually pretty good once he gets to that top speed, but he, he thinks Clemson needs to run the ball differently with DJ, which could be interesting to see. Um, I can't stand their offense. I don't. I don't yeah. like the way they run their quarterback. I don't like the. the it's and it's. Is it in slow motion? Yes. It, does, it, it feels like everything. Nothing moves very quickly with the way they handle their business. Um, do you want that uh, Cade quote? By the way. Sure. Right, hey, what, did, what did DJ say to you in the locker room after the game? Yeah, you know, I, 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 he just he just came up to me first of all, and he told me he was so proud of me, he just uh, proud of me for playing my game. Um, and you know the preparation we've been doing over the past you know ten months together. Um, she was just really proud of me. But you know, then I immediately told him, "Bro, this is your team. And, like, you, you, know, you might have off game, but it's your team. And it's your, in two weeks from now, you're gonna come back and do something you really want to do." So the reason that he's not the starting quarterback is that he's 14 years old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was thinking. I sound <laughs> like it. <laughs> Well, you know what's great? You know what's great about their sk- – <laughs> and Dabo, I'm sure, is taking notes on everybody. He did it after the Florida State games. Like, y'all said, you know, uh, my quarterback. And at that time, I was on DJ's bandwagon. Like, hey, good. You were right all along. But for him to compare him to Steph Curry and say Steph Curry has a bad night too, that is not that is not what's happening, okay? <laughs> Let's just say that. That is not what's happening. You know what's great, though, about their next game? Because – I may or may not have gotten into it with Joel Clatt a little bit about, a, you know, he took some shots at Clemson and I was taking, you know, say, hey, I think they'd be undefeated versus Ohio State or Michigan schedule two. They got a common opponent in Notre Dame, like put up more points than Ohio State did. And then, you could say, you know, you could silence everybody, Dabo. Early Caesars line on that is 10. Hmm. Interesting. Under. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Bud, you had mentioned that uh, you want to turn a spotlight. Do you want to talk Notre Dame? So, do you want to stay right there? Because uh, I know that you said you've got some uh, some notes on that. And honestly, I, I did not get a lot of Notre Dame UNLV in my life on Saturday. So if you've got some thoughts on it, uh, I'd love to hear it. The, the main thing here is like Notre Dame actually moved the ball, but you would think because of how bad UNLV's run defense has been, that they could punch it in, and they just didn't score touchdowns in the red zone, which is sort of concerning. They didn't turn the ball over a ton. They had two, which kind of like golf clappy for this Notre Dame offense. Uh, but like, I don't know, man. It's just they don't look – they don't think they have difference makers on the outside. Uh, this is something that we got tagged with. It Was it a two-star or a three-star review, Tom? Remember uh, that? Three-star, I believe. Think they're missing Avery, maybe? Uh, I don't know. Well, he wasn't even a starter, so. Oh, well, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Receivers on the day, eight catches. for uh, Offensive line, defensive line in the country. I mean, we're clowns. 
Yeah, like they, I think their inability to score in the red zone uh, when you don't hit explosive plays to start is a concerning trend. That's kind of my number one takeaway there. Notre Dame is left to basically just be playing spoiler to other teams that have greater aspirations than what they do. Currently sitting at four and three, you do have the kind of winnable games with Navy and Boston College, both at home, where I, you know, I'm. I would think that those are going to be the opportunities to at least have Marcus Freeman guiding this program into the postseason. But they are in the Dome at Syracuse this weekend, uh, then Clemson, then USC in the regular season finale. Do you think that Notre Dame is going to be able to get one play spoiler for one of those three? Obviously, Syracuse's hopes and dreams a little bit different now that they've got the loss to Clemson, but certainly a, a massive game for Dino Babers and the Orange with the Fighting Irish in town, no matter what kind of uh, what kind of season they're having. I think they could play spoiler against Syracuse simply because I don't know how many points are going to be scored in that game. So, like, it's just, it's going to be a defensive struggle that's close that they can win, but I don't really trust them to beat a good team at all. Syracuse is interesting. We, we did talk going into the locks pod about how poor their run defense had been, and Clemson went for 293 on them. But mm-hmm. Syracuse confuses passers a lot. Like they're re- we, we, we saw him do it to Aiden O'Connell. We saw, we've seen him do it a lot this year. Like Tony White's defense is really well coached. They're good at corner. We'll see if they're cor- if uh, if Garrett Williams gets back for them. Not that it really matters sometimes when you're playing these Notre Dame receivers. I I would anticipate in that game that the Irish really try to tone down exactly how much Drew Pine has to read and, and think about stuff before the snap, and they just try to mash them. Because there have been some teams that have just been able to push around Syracuse. They haven't all won. Obviously, only Clemson has. But it was a concern going in, and Clemson ran for – they got the sacks 315. That's that's a lot. Um, Tom, what, where would you like to turn your attention to for a pun for the review? Well – this isn't where I was planning to start, but I don't think you're going to bring it up, so I'll bring it up upon further review. I would just like to go back to our SEC West win total show on August 8th, 2022, when we were discussing what we thought would become of the Texas A&M Aggies. And a certain host of this show named Chip Patterson said, and I quote, I think Texas A&M is going to lose at South Carolina. I then took that quote, threw it on Twitter, and tagged Texags just to sick all the Aggie fans on chip. And now here we are, a few months later, Texas A&M lost South Carolina. So, Chip, kudos. Thank you. Thank you. I will say that I did not expect that the Aggies would be on a three-game losing streak uh, after that result that I predicted. I kind of thought that... You know, it was a it was a tender spot in the hangover from the Alabama game, and with South Carolina playing at home, and with South Carolina being a a feisty team that liked Texas A and M, probably you know wasn't going to be scoring a whole lot of points. That they could win a, a low scoring, you know, defensive leaning battle. I did not expect that we'd be invoking the name Bobby Bonilla when talking about Texas A and M head coach Jimbo Fisher. And I did not expect Texas A&M fans to be so down, bad after it happened. But yes, you know, it was a it was a streak snapping victory for the South Carolina Gamecocks against Texas A&M, who had been taking it on the chin. Because after I popped off with it, which all vibes, which which has guided me pretty well so far this season in terms of my predictions, um, the that's everyone pointed to numbers. They're like, are you kidding me? No way. Texas A&M has owned this rivalry. Jimbo has owned the Gamecocks. Look at the series history. But yeah, I guess, guess, guess that ends up working out. <laughs> I will say, keeping on the subject for one moment longer, like I feel like the worst sign for Texas A&M right now is that like when you make fun of the Aggies online, you're not getting a bunch of angry people in your mentions. You're getting mostly kind of sad people in your mentions. And Texas A&M fans have, always been very good at being mad in the face of their own team's ineptitudes and follies, but the tide's turning there, so I kind of worry about that situation. Anyways, as for upon further reviewing, I went back and watched Penn State, Minnesota. Best offensive performance of the season by far for Penn State. Like, And it's coming off of two terrible offensive performances. Like They, were, they won against Northwestern, but they were terrible in that game. They were terrible last week against Michigan. Uh, 
but this week against Minnesota, man, like the offensive line, like that's a Minnesota defense that I think is kind of falling apart as the season goes on, at least compared to what it was performing at the level of early in the season. But it was still a very impressive performance from that offensive line. They got the run game going, which helped Sean Clifford in part. And then they were able to get vertical in the passing attack for some explosive plays. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley made an incredible one-handed catch. Just going back and watching that one, like instead of just having it on a secondary screen while watching other games, I was very impressed by what Penn State did in that game. To go back to the South Carolina thing, just real quick, I, I got some heat on Twitter for saying that, uh, yes, I bet South Carolina. I took them over their win total. I was very happy about the win. However, I was a little bit less impressed with them because I thought they were going to win the game outright and you know by more than this because of, of all the guys that A&M had out. I mean, Spencer Rattler, under 50% passing in this game. South Carolina had 286 yards, and we can say, hey, they lost some possessions because they scored on special teams, which is awesome. I don't know how if it's that sustain. It's not as sustainable, in my opinion, as some of the South Carolina fans and my mentions seem to think it is. But they're doing a really nice job on special teams this year. They continue to be terrible on offense, though. Like this is their offense was worse than what A and M had out there, and A and M had a ton of guys out, and their quarterback gets hurt, and A and M still had the better offense. In this game, it was uh, it was remarkable, and that's with like seven false starts and a snap hitting the quarterback in the nuts because like the center, the backup center wasn't ready. And uh, I, man, it's just not working out there on offense for for the Gamecocks, and and it may not show up the next two weeks, but at some point, they may have to score some points to win. They're getting worse quarterback play this year than they did last year. He's got five true? touchdowns, God. eight interceptions. Yeah. It's pretty dicey. I mean, he has not been great. It is pretty miraculous. Like if you had said that before the season, I'd say they're probably two and five. Like in their yeah. in their it's yeah, Beamer's done a he's done a great job. Could just finding ways to win. There's some value in that. Shout out to Marshawn Lloyd, their running back. I feel like that's like the the mm-hmm. he, yeah. he, he carries so much weight and responsibility. And when they need a play. Um, he is the one who is the most reliable option to go and get it for him. So good on you. And he was even, because I have not dug into this. The, excuse me for not deciding to spend some of my Sunday digging into uh, how mad South Carolina fans are at their own play calling and offense. But I did see that Marshawn Lloyd was uh, sticking up for the coaching staff. So apparently South Carolina fans are as upset with the uh, struggles that you mentioned, Bud, in terms of this offense and uh, they they feel like there maybe some changes should be made there as well. I don't know if it would change the results. Might need new personnel, but South Carolina offense not doing so well. I mean, there's there's some dudes on that team who are going to be like transfer portal bound if they don't start throwing the ball a little better. I guarantee you that. Like mm-hmm. there there's some guys who think they're NFL players who are going to want more targets elsewhere. Lloyd is for sure an NFL player. I I think. I mean, just watching that guy run at that size, that speed combo. He's a sophomore. Don't have it in front of me. Are you trying to think oh, if he's gone next year? Yeah, yeah exactly. about to Just have like whole offense needs a reboot headed into the 2023 season. We'll keep an eye on that. Coming up on the other side, does Oregon have a path to the playoff after beating UCLA? And will Kirk Ferentz make a change at offensive coordinator after the season? We'll get into that and more next. Um, this is a... Uh, upon further review, reviewing the take that we already got in because we were dissecting Oregon and UCLA and we were looking at the fact that these two teams on a down-to-down basis were very, very close. They played a competitive game. It was all about finishing drives. UCLA had to settle for too many field goals. Oregon did a better job of finishing and stole the possession with the onside kick. And that's how you end up with a 15-point margin at the end of the game. But I come back to say, but is... This approach, is this aggressive approach, the ability to finish drives, is that going to make Oregon college football playoff bound? They've got to be impressive down the stretch. What's the worst law? The teams have lost before. No one's ever suffered a blowout. Mm-hmm. And made it to the playoff. Uh, no, the the COVID, isn't it like twenty one or Clemson blowout Notre Dame in the rematch in the COVID year. They in like the that ACC was like a three or four score game. Yeah, yeah, but that was. But wasn't they already like in? Mm-hmm. You know, like it was already kind of done, and that's why Texas and M fans were so upset. 
because it was like, oh, it was just a split. We're going to get that. You know, they need to, you know, it was in Clemson. It was somebody hurt. I'm trying to think back because it was, but even still, it wasn't 49 to three. Yeah. What was I don't know if they can like, recover like from that. something. So I think a 12 and one Pac 12 champion, Oregon Ducks, with the only loss being in the season opener to Georgia. And let and let the committee come out there and be like, it was Bo Nix's first game with the new team. It was Dan Lanning's first game as a, ever as a head coach. You were going up against the reigning national champions. And, you know, they would need Georgia to continue to – they would probably need Georgia to also be in the college football playoff at the time. But Cal, Colorado, Washington, Utah at home, and then Oregon State, I think that the door is open – Thanks to finishing drives, some aggressive play calling, and Bo MF Knicks, I think the door is open for this Oregon team to make a return. Shout out to those 2014 Ducks to the college football playoff. I need a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think it's open. I just don't think they can quote unquote control their own destiny. Like if they win out and they win the Pac 12 and they're a one loss Pac 12 champion, of course they're going to be in the running. But they're going to need to be impressive. Like when they get to the pack, they, they play Utah later this year, need to be an impressive win. If they play USC or UCLA again in the Pac-12 championship, because I'm assuming if they beat Utah in that game, it won't be the Utes they're playing. They need to be impressive because if there's anybody with a similar resume, like if there's a one-loss SEC team that did not win the, like Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, if they're 12-1 and one or whatever and just lost the SEC title game, especially if it's Georgia, because they're just going to point to Georgia beating them 49 to three. But if it's also against like one loss, Tennessee, one loss, Alabama, one loss, Michigan, one loss, Ohio state, they are going to get hammered over the head by that 49 to three loss. I will say Georgia also had a year where they lost. Auburn blew them out in Auburn and, and Georgia won the rematch in the sec title game. So it was sort of the reverse of what we had with Clemson Notre Dame. That, that was the year. That was the year of the uh, Tua uh, to Devonte Smith walk-off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure right. on that. Yeah. So the, they also need a couple things to happen in addition to what Tom said. So I think you need your PAC 12 title game opponent to be USC and for USC to run the table from here on out. That way you have a diversity of resume. I think playing UCLA again is not good because people are already going to downgrade UCLA and USC is more of a name and whether the committee wants to admit it or not, they care about name value. You also need to beat Utah and then have Utah not lose any more games. So you're talking about having a win over a nine and three Utah team. Eight and four Utah may or may not finish ranked. They have some like pole moment, like just, you know, initial momentum from how high they were to start the season. But it's also how often do we see eight and four Pac 12 teams ranked? It's not, it's sort of a dicey proposition. And then I think they probably need Georgia to beat Tennessee by multiple scores, which Tom said. Do you think, all right, so. Look, quick follow up to this because I do I I went back and and was starting to really break this Oregon team down. I'm I'm very excited. It's one of my favorite storylines to track moving forward. Along with, can TCU continue the magical ride? Like we've we keep doing all these scenarios with Ohio State and Michigan or uh, Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama. Like, I don't know. There's there are. Uh, quality football teams that we will be debating over the next month as the college football playoff rankings are going to begin getting released next week. Keep it here on the Cover 3 podcast for all your uh, college football playoff rankings reactions uh, on Tuesday nights. And I think that like we have, if you assume that there is going to be one spot open for the Big 12 or the Pac-12, Mm-hmm. Who is mo- the most likely team to be able to get in there? TCU. Because yeah. it's, it's still undefeated. But I think yeah. the thing that makes this difficult is we don't have college football playoff rankings yet. And what concerns me if I'm TCU is if I look at the rest of my schedule, I've got West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas Baylor, Iowa State. Who knows if any of those teams will be ranked when they play them or will be ranked at the end of the season at this point. So you've already gone through the toughest part of what – your schedule's probably going to be this year. And we talked about it on Saturday night. They've been lucky with injuries that they faced other teams, you know, Dylan Gabriel, Jalen Daniel, Spencer Sanders, and then Will Howard and Adrian Martinez on Saturday. 
But as well as they've done being, I think I saw, I can't remember who tweeted it, but I think I saw the stat was they're the first team in college football history to beat four ranked teams within the same month. They just did that and they can't get higher than seven in the AP poll. So what are they going to do for the rest of this season to really improve their resume and their standing in the eyes of voters? Now, again, watch other teams lose. Yeah. So they have to win out and we have to see how the college football playoff views this team. One thing that would concern me with TCU is that the committee historically has a blind spot for giving credit to teams whose resume includes beating a lot of teams that we would classify as sort of that like 20 to 45 range the upper third of college football, but maybe not ranked, even though we all know that anybody who makes power ratings knows, and even if you just use your eye test, that the difference between like the 15th team and the 40th team on a week-to-week basis is very minimal. But they like drawing these arbitrary lines of top 25, and they give you credit for it, and they give you credit for, for wins over teams that are bowling. But there is a de- there's, there's a subset that you don't seem to get any credit for, and you can see this historically in how they do their rankings. There's a pretty good chance – TCU has a lot of wins over teams that are seven and five, eight and four, maybe nine and three. And if the chips fall poorly for them in the voting in the polls, they could have a lot of wins over that sort of like others receiving votes category because the Big 12 beats itself up and they don't are not going to get credit for not having cupcakes on their schedule. I'm interested though in Michigan. Michigan canceled that series with UCLA. Is that going to bite them? Because, like, if they lose to Ohio State, their best win is Penn State. And, like, Penn State waxing Minnesota last week certainly helped Michigan's case. But, man, the rest of that schedule is really sketchy. And I'm like, their resume is not going to stack up if they lose to Ohio State. So it's going to be a real eye test thing. Do we think, like, do we think Michigan is better than Oregon? But they almost need to play Ohio State to like a 24 21, hold that offense in check you know, tight game, show that they're on the same field in Columbus because I'm with you. I think it's going to be a problem, especially if – but here's the thing. They do have the brand on their side, but what they have hurting them is last year's performance in the playoff might actually hurt them. You know, the fact that they didn't look like a champion or a playoff-level team, but they're definitely going to get the benefit of the doubt over some of these other teams that don't have the historical brand that Michigan does. Also, like you just said, like – They have the brand. What I was just saying with TCU, TCU just reeled off four straight wins against ranked teams and it can only get to number seven in the AP poll. Michigan has beaten one ranked team and it's at number four because beating Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, UConn, Hawaii, and Colorado State was just so damn impressive that I can't even imagine considering that they might be worse than Clemson or Alabama or TCU. But I think if you look at the rest of their schedule, Illinois might be nine and one by the time they play that game illinois might be a top 15 team so that's going to be a resume boost for them if they can win that game then they're going to get ohio state and if they win that game or lose it close then they don't have to play in the big 10 championship they are going to be an 11 and one michigan whose only loss was a close loss to ohio state with possibly two wins over top 15 teams and like the brand does matter it's the preseason bias matters too yeah that's where you know the fact that they started high they're not going to drop them they should have been like for penalizing them, but they, if you're going to schedule week, beat the teams like you did the way Michigan did, and then you won't drop. That's, that's fair. I, these voters oftentimes, man, like they're, they're just lemmings for the loss column, right? Mm-hmm. If you start a team high, if the team still has a zero in the loss column, regardless who they play, they're not going to drop. Like they're not actually, a lot of times they're not actually making subjective evaluations. We, like we could have talked about this in Pole Assassin. But I, I also think there's another factor to consider here, though, is like TCU's won a bunch of teams games against ranked teams, but they've been close wins. Like they have not been dominant performances. They've gone to overtime. They've been one score games at the end. And while Michigan's played the overall weaker schedule, the only time Michigan broke a sweat was against Maryland. Like it beat Colorado State by 44. It beat Hawaii by 46. It beat UConn by 59. It only beat Iowa by 13, but that was because it kind of just stopped playing at halftime because the game was in char- already in control and Iowa's two touchdowns came in the fourth quarter. It beat Indiana by 21. It beat Penn State by 24. Like They are blowing everybody out, and that's going to have an impact too. And that's why I say Oregon needs to start needs to keep blowing people out. And if I'm TCU and I'm getting to the back half of my schedule, which has a much more wiggle room than I think the last month did, I need to start blowing people out. Yeah, let's go. This is run it up season. Yes. 
Are you are you in the always Big Twelve? The score always. <laughs> are you in the Big Twelve, Pac twelve? Then you want to be in the college football playoff? Well, let's run it up season in college football, where margin of victory needs to be big. I don't care how many friends you have on the other sideline. Run it up on their ass, and then tell them you're sorry afterwards. I love run it up season. All right, bud. Uh, what else do you want to turn our attention to? Uh, one thing we, we talked about in locks, um, and I would probably bet this again, but with less confidence. I, I, I took UAB uh, going to going to West Kentucky and they lost. Now, hmm. the primary reason they lost is because they fumbled the ball four times and, and I think threw one pick. So, not a great performance turnover wise. But we had talked about one of the reasons liking UAB, or at least I did, was because they had done such a nice job against these wide open passing offenses. But I want to give some credit to West Kentucky here because this is a pretty important game for getting to the QSA title game. They came out. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Like UAB's pass defense is really good. We're going to run the ball a lot and play some power football. And their top two backs, Sanders and Poindexter, they went for 202 on the ground and really kind of controlled the ground game. Like they ran it almost as effectively as, as UAB did. And like if they rematch tomorrow, and look, UAB's quarterback got hurt in the opening like quarter and he was killing it to start. I mean, he was two of two for 63 and a touchdown. The backup, Jacob Zeno, who last seen it. Baylor, yep. I think. Yep. Uh, three of 10 for 33 yards. So a little bit less effective there uh, for him. But still, credit to West Kentucky for coming out and running the ball. I thought that was pretty nice. Um, were you watching live or did you say you watched the... Yeah, I watched it live. Okay, because it was it was amazing. Uh, shout out to CBS Sports Network's Alex Del Barrio and Dante Whitmer. Just continually throughout the second half, he's like, and we really expected Western Kentucky to throw it more. Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> it, it was so very clear that the narr- that the the narrative that we you know anybody would expect going into Bowling Green Kentucky to go and call a Western Kentucky Hilltoppers game based on the way that things had gone since the start of last season was that you would not see uh, such a heavy reliance on the run game but that was exactly uh, what Western Kentucky did speaking of the state of Kentucky Tom and I both uh, as we were trying to make sure you know see uh, what teams we wanted to spotlight here we realized we both wanted to talk about the Louisville Cardinals, which, hey, like 24 to 10 win against Pitt. Uh, you know, that was a, a night win, a home win. Tom, was that a good win? No, they looked awful on offense in that game. Mm. Hot Cedar Fields has returned. Hot Cedar Fields. Don't let the wind fool you. I mean, this, like, do you know what that win got me? That win got me a trip to the pumpkin patch. So I at least need to thank Scott Satterfield <laughs> yesterday for allowing me to get out to Page Farms uh, out there in Western Wake County. Uh, we appreciate it. We got to do the hayride. We got to pick out the pumpkin. You get you throw them in the, the, the corn pit, which is like a ball pit, but just dried out corn kernels. And so you sort of sink to the bottom, almost like quicksand. I, listen. When I was a boy, a corn pit was a very different thing. <laughs> are you ready <laughs> um but yes i went i did not get eyes on a second of louisville pit on saturday night so i had to go back and check that out the offense did not play well in this game uh keen slovis throws two interceptions there is a fumble scoop and score touchdown for the cardinals defense and in a way i guess you have to give credit to Louisville's defense, a group that I have not really viewed as the the strong suit of this team. Izzy Abanaconda it, you know, goes and gets his 129 and a score on 25, 28 carries, but did, you did not let him dominate. The passing game for Pitt was uh, woeful. But again, yes. Malik Cunningham, less than 50%. You threw out Spencer Rattler less than 50% completion. He got, I, he got hurt in this one, by the way, Chip. Like, he Oof. was in and out of the lineup. Like, I, I did get eyes on that. Like, he was definitely uh, – he's not close to 100% right now. It didn't look, didn't look normal. So, to spin this forward, Louisville's upcoming schedule coming off of that win. They host Wake Forest this weekend. Then they host James Madison. They are at Clemson. They host NC State. They are at Kentucky. There are five games remaining. They need to win two of them to be bowl eligible. Wake Forest, James Madison, Clemson, NC State, and Kentucky is Louisville in the postseason. I'll yes. give them James Madison because that's a team that's kind of fallen off the last couple of weeks. But. Oh, well, we don't know if James Madison's quarterback is going to play. Yeah. Right? Like, like he didn't play last week, and that was pretty important against Marshall. 
Yeah. But they're not beating Wake, I don't think. Do you? No. Louisville's secondary is vulnerable. Like, if you remember, like, let's rewind about a month ago to FSU's backup, Rodemaker bombing it on them in, in, in the second half of that Friday night game. So I have to think Wake can chuck it around on those guys pretty well. Cunningham's health should be important here, too. Like, how much better is he going to be this week, I guess? Speaking they could beat of- NC State if NC State can't score. I see. I, I think they could beat James Madison. I think they could beat NC State. I think they can beat Kentucky. I don't think they're beating Wake. I don't think they're beating Clemson on the road. Not the way they were playing or have been playing. But uh, speaking of Wake, did you see what Dave Clawson said yesterday? What about the thirty-five-year-olds? This is just an amazing quote. I loved it. Um, quote, Dave Clawson, I'm sure when all our 35-year-old 15th-year players graduate next year, we'll come crashing back to earth like everyone says we will. Dave Clawson has just been on one this entire season. He, he's kind of just like, I'm I, I'm just just screw it. I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. I, I, like I have great job security. I'm just... just he's earned it. Yeah, no doubt. I'm just going to keep winning 10 games every year while you keep telling me that I can't keep winning 10 games every year. <laughs> That's a really good coaching staff. Yes, uh, they are. Oh, the DN for, for Louisville deserves a shout-out here. Um, what's his name? Abdullah, the, the edge rusher they had. He kind of dominated this game. And if you're if you're Pat Narduzzi, man, like you're not getting fired, but is this what you wanted? Man ball? 320 oh, yards? Oh, listen, I'll tell you what. I told you he's going to go and beat North Carolina this Saturday night in Chapel Hill, and that's that's the bounce back. This looks like a must champ team, man. To me, you'd, you'd rather lose the right way than than win scoring points. Oh, so the Iowa approach, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Tom, wait, you wrote about the Iowa Hawkeyes in yeah. uh, the, the Monday after. Um, and I, I didn't have anything specific from the Ohio state game, but you are not the only one that is starting to like the, there is starting to be a real, um, rally for changes to be made. And we joke about how Kirk runs the program, but athletic director, Gary Barta is out here talking about how Kirk runs the program and the contract for Kirk Ferentz is of a hot topping, a hot Talking point. Hot I mean, talking point. Do you do you think that we are nearing the end of Ferentz's tenure at Iowa? Kirk Ferentz's tenure? No, 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 no. I mean, look, not that he would get fired, but that we are start. We have entered the late stage Ferentz era, where the the hand wringing, the grumbling, um, the managerial decisions, as much as the performance, all lead to everyone looking and saying, "All right." Our time here is done. It's time to keep it moving. I don't think Kirk Ferentz is going anywhere after this season. I do think Brian Ferentz will be gone. I do think that like he's not going to come out and say it, but I think when you hear some of his quotes in post-game press conferences, like he's never fired a coach during the season. And he's always saying that, and he's saying at the end of the year, we're going to evaluate things. And I do think that somebody, like even though he's got all the support in the world, there between the administration, between boosters. He's got an ironclad buyout, which you cannot get him out of. But I do think that even the people that are supporting him are going to say at some point, like, because I, I put in the column, I showed the offensive performance of Iowa, not just this season, but since Brian Ferentz became the offensive coordinator. And it is truly the one thing, like when you look at all the games that Iowa has won the last few years, if they just had a below average offense instead of an awful, God, terrible, stab your eyes with a fork offense, They'd be a legit playoff contender. Mm. Did you guys read uh, Doug uh, Les Maurice's column from the Eretro Cleveland Plain Dealer? No, no. I, catching that yesterday was the thing that actually threw this on uh, on my radar, and then I saw uh, Tom had, had written about Iowa as the lead for his column, so it, it it just really picked up a lot of momentum. I mean, this guy is an Ohio State writer, and his entire column is, is about how like that was a joke of a game and how Kirk Ferentz is grifting Iowa. Right. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Like seriously, he's like, they're, they're just like stealing from <laughs> Iowa. Damn. <laughs> no, I mean like, but like the, the line here is like, what a coincidence that the most qualified person for the job just happens to be related to, to the multimillionaire coach. Right. Like it, 
Uh, also, the, he got some quotes from Barta. Did you guys see these Barta, the other Barta quotes here? Oh. Yeah. It was basically that you I got, can't do got, anything. You guys are skipping. Yeah, sorry. You want to read them? Do you have them pulled up? Sorry, the, the feed was, was skipping for a second. Um, you- yeah. First of all, Kirk's been doing this for a long time. I've been with him for 17 years. At the end of the year, he evaluates every part of the program, every staff member, and that's what I, I, I know he'll do again this year. In the meantime, we have five games. He's never changed staff members in the middle of the season. That's his plan now, and I'm going to support him. At the end of the season, we'll see where it goes. Certainly not somebody who sounds like the person in charge of Brian Francis' future, Doug says. He's Like I wrote, he's the king. It's his yeah. kingdom. He rules it as he sees fit. Head coach of Iowa football since 1999. And uh, and yeah, I, I do not think that he would be out at the end of the season, but I do wonder if there would be some real, like, human emo- human like damage or at least like changes in the way that you view this job from uh from having to for- being forced or making the decision to move on from having your son who I'm I'm sure at one point you kind of hoped your son would take over like mm-hmm. the old um coach Bill Snyder when you he was trying to install his son as the successor when he retires I I would have I was just wondering if this is kind of like the beginning of the end kind of uh Acknowledgement. It, Did you guys see the per touchdown dollars that uh, Brian Francis is making? No. So this was 10 days ago from from OutKick. Francis made $450,000 for the first six games of 2022. That comes out to more than $64,000 per offensive touchdown, 5000 per first down. Did they score an offensive touchdown against Ohio mm-hmm. State? Nope. Defensive touchdown and a field goal. So he's going to be up to like seventy five k per touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. I didn't go into it in the column because I could have gone for 5,000 words and our editors kind of frowned upon that in my Monday after. But like, I think part of the thing talking about going forward is France has to make the change because like the big 10 is about to be a lot different. Mm. Like if you look at USC and UCLA are coming, like there was news today that they're not getting rid of the divisions next season, but they're probably going to get rid of them when USC and UCLA join the conference and just the overall changes in the way the sport is going, like you can't keep doing what you've been doing for 24 years. It's signs are that it's not going to work. Cause even Brett Bielaba at Illinois, like he came to Illinois, he's an Iowa grad, had success at Wisconsin playing that kind of football. Tried the offense in his first year at Illinois, didn't work. After one year, gets a new offensive coordinator, and Illinois' offense is not just like your typical Wisconsin-Iowa smash mouth throw to the tight end. There's RPOs, it's tempo, it's all that stuff. Iowa has to do the same thing. Iowa needs to modernize its offense. It's reached the point where you can't do what's been working for you forever. And I I know there are other parts of it where the young offensive line, they just don't have the good quarterback. But by the way, your offensive coordinator is also your quarterback's coach, and part of his job is developing your quarterback's. Iowa's quarterbacks aren't developing and it's like they're not a team where you can look at you can go to the portal and find a transfer because what quarterback out there is going to transfer to Iowa if they have any other options available to them right now so I think that come the end of the season there needs to be like a kind of come to Jesus moment with Ferentz where it's like we not only need to get rid of our offensive coordinator who is your son but we can't just hire somebody else who's going to run the same damn offense we've been running. Have you guys uh, recently played the Charlie Jones or in Iowa, Iowa receiver room game? <laughs> it's a pretty good game. Yeah. Uh, so Charlie Jones, who was on Iowa, who was like, I'm going to get the hell out of here because this offense is just terrible. Uh, 72 catches, 840 yards, nine touchdowns. Iowa's top receiver this year has 15 catches for 158 and one touchdown. I think he has well okay that's 15 and 14 it's 29 four is 33 two is 35 two more is 37 one more is 38 so uh he doesn't quite have double the catches of all the iowa receivers combined but he ain't far off and touchdown wise he absolutely he has more touchdowns as well than uh than the iowa receivers who have won mm-hmm. on the season Mm -hmm. it's not great he also had one of the best catches of the weekend yes it is listen it's not hyperbole this is genuinely one of the worst big 10 offenses of like of the modern era like maybe we can go back to the 1900s when they were winning games you know three to two regularly but 
in football as we know it now, this is one of the worst Big Ten offenses that has ever existed. Ugh. Any anybody any uh and I've I've got Tom's column on the brain. Anybody got a palate cleanser before we get out of here? Any upon further review that's gonna be a little happier? We already got uh, Oregon, Iowa, Louisville. We got Penn State. I had, but it's not much of a palate cleanser. It's kind of more of the same. Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, I went back because I I had Indiana on the locks. They jumped out to a fourteen nothing lead, and that's not why I went because they blew it. They didn't even cover. But I went back to watch because Rutgers had made the change at offensive coordinator, and Nunzio Campanella was taken over this week. And I just wanted to see if anything was different. They won. But the only real difference was they scored in the red zone. They, this has been one of the worst red zone offenses all season. Like they were five for 15 against FBS opponents as far as scoring touchdowns in the red zone going into the week. They were two for two against Indiana. But other than that, they ran the ball nearly 70% of the time. There was no explosive offense. Like they had, I think, one or two big runs, and that was it. It was just, ugh, I don't think Rutgers' offense is fixed. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I think Sean Gleason was probably a pretty decent coach who does not have a lot to work with there. And this was after a bye week. So I think if we were going to see some major changes, we would have probably seen it. They do get some quarterbacks back, which is potentially helpful when it comes to scoring in the red zone. The the difference between Rutgers and Iowa is we have expectations for Iowa. Mm -hmm. Rutgers is like if you guys play great defense, punt really well, and find a way to get to a bowl game, congrats. Awesome job. Uh, I have a positive one here. All right. East, Car- East Carolina. I, I was wrong about them. right? I, not necessarily the whole season, but definitely for this game. I, I had UCF as one of my locks and got to give credit to Holden Aylers, man. Like he had looked not that great for a couple of weeks, I thought, or at least the competition was sketchy. He came out there and shredded UCF 30 of 36 for 311, one touchdown, didn't put the ball at risk. And that was kind of the difference in the game. I mean, they won by three touchdowns yardage wise, pretty even, yards per play, pretty even. But he protected the football, and UCF had four turnovers, three of them, I think, in the red zone or, or kind of in the scoring area. And Ehlers just – they never got him off schedule, man. Just dominated. It was it was really impressive. Friday night, ECU packing up the ship, going to Provo. That game's a problem for, for BYU, I think. Yeah. That defense is bad. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Brewer was not back for Liberty, and Liberty just absolutely destroyed these guys. I mean, they they went for five forty seven. BYU had two fifty eight. Um, there were seventeen players who couldn't go for Liberty. Yeah, participation chart had a lot of absences. BYU is reeling right now. Um, They're like a boxer that can't get to the corner, man. And I mean, Bennett. Bennett has been terrible this year. The, 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 Bennett's the third-string quarterback for Liberty because Brewer's out and the other kid they signed. Caden Salter? Caden Salter's out, I think, for the year, right? Like, he's he's out for a while. Mm-hmm. So this is their third stringer. In recent weeks, this kid has not been good at all. And he went 24 of 29 for 247, which is, like, almost 10 yards per attempt, and two tutties, only one pick, which is a market improvement over prior weeks. I continue to think Jaron Hall's hurt. I've said that really since the end of that Utah State game that he had like one half against Notre Dame where he actually looked okay. But I mean, 16 of 34 for a buck 87 and they're running the ball for 71 like that. That might be a dead team walking here, guys. Mm. Speaking of weeknight games, Thursday night for you college football viewers. And I assume if you're watching or listening to us, that's you. There are two games at the 7:30 PM Eastern window. One of them is a power five game and one of them is not. Do not be lulled into the power five game. Do not watch Virginia Tech and NC State and you can watch Louisiana and Southern Miss instead. Just be warned. I am all over Virginia Tech NC State. Yeah, but you're you're diseased. You've got ACC running through your blood. You can't help it. Listen, NC State asked for years to be in the coastal division, and it's gonna play a coastal ass game. With Virginia Tech, NC State. It'll be like Virginia, Georgia Tech again. Because the thing about the, the – it's not just the low scoring. Um, it is – because the teams usually move the ball. It's the ability to turn it over in a scoring opportunity that leads to the low scores, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not just that the defenses are better than the offenses. It's that even when the offenses have success, they hurt themselves as well. But, yeah, 
I'll, I'll be all over both uh, officially. And we may get into this more. Um, th- this is not one of those games, but week nine, I think, I think I'm going to call it trap week. A lot, of, a lot of trap. Trap, 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 trap. We'll get into it. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Fidelia3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.